Hello, my name is Martin Rabe from Giant Software, and you're listening to the Scene World podcast. Hey, it's a podcast. He's Jurg. I'm AJ. Um, I'm a little sick, so I don't sound great. But he's normally, the I'm the sick person. Yeah, yeah. So, in a minute, we have Jessa Jones from iPad Rehab, and that is part two of our ongoing um, Right to Repair month. Exactly, yes. Right, right there is where we put in the obnoxious air horn sound. Exactly. <laughs> and and she is actually the, the person who said it's possible to rescue data from your iPhone without using iTunes. And yeah. without having a backup. I saw a video that she put up. Um, it might have actually been after we talked to her um, in which they recovered photos. They, they basically recovered the entire phone from um, a, a guy that was murdered in a hate crime. Yeah. And his phone was utterly destroyed and they brought it back so that his family could have access to his, his photos and, and memories and yeah. stuff, which is amazing. Yeah. We will link to that yeah. in the description, of course. Yeah, which is amazing work. Um, so that's in a minute. Um, before that, I, I guess we have some news items. Yes, I mean, E3 was there recently that's in Los thing. Angeles. That's a thing, yes. And um, it we, we spoke about this many times, how big publishers who, who don't want to be involved in retro suddenly go towards retro. Like Konami announced there will be... Um, um, a reboot of uh, Cobra. Cobra. Yeah, the okay. action oh. action game. All right, all right. Yeah, and uh, that's pretty amazing. That is. Yeah, and Microsoft announced a new flight simulator hmm. no, don't in they, 2020. Don't they do a new one like every year? No, they didn't do a new one since the last eight years. Oh, I feel I, I felt like for some reason they updated it every year, but maybe I'm just making that up. No, they didn't. This is why it's such a big thing. Hmm. Interesting. I always wanted like a really good flight simulator setup. Like, like they've got it for like pilots, where you know it's a whole rig, and you know you've got your pedals. Why don't you get it? I don't. I'm not made of money. And and because uh, technically I could just go to the airport and go and get in a real plane and and, and fly it if I wanted didn't, to. Didn't didn't you say you have a f- pilot license? Yeah, yeah, I have my permit. Yeah, so it's. So why don't you actually use it? Well, because again, I'm not made of money. Fuel can't stuff you, is can't a you, lot. Can't you? Can't you? Can't you? Um, rent a. Yeah, you can, plane? but you still have to pay your. Um, you have to pay for fuel. You have to pay for the plane rental. You have to pay for the insurance. You have to pay for the landing fees. There's a. It's a. There's a, a fair bit of money that goes into it. It's not so. Like why a, you made your license if you can't actually use it? Because I was 17 years old and obsessed with airplanes from the time I was six. So, you know, it was. You I, you don't think about that when you're when you're a kid. You don't think like you know oh, the and 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 at the time too it was, it was fairly expensive, but it wasn't quite as expensive as it is now. So at the time, you know, obviously, you know, buying a plane is a little bit it, it, that's a lot of money. Um, and I've, with a with a pilot friend flying together or something. I have seen uh, people where they they go in three or four ways on an airplane because because you know a, a brand new single engine plane is going to cost you you know a hundred thousand dollars. 
you can get one from, you know, 1962 for, you know, maybe 40 grand, but that's still an ancient, you know, it's still pretty old. Um, but I have seen a couple of people go in and then they kind of timeshare on it, but, uh, yeah, it's just the sort of thing where I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't know that I would even, I don't have a use. It, it's not like I'm going places where I would need a, if I had a if I had a pilot license, I would go all over the place, and I would find a way to afford it. <laughs> you can guarantee that. Yeah, yeah. But you know, either way, either way, I still always wanted one of those those flight simulator rigs, just so I could kind of play in my off hours without having to spend money. Well, that's as I said, just get a friend and share it. Yeah, there you go. I would totally do that if I was you. <laughs> well, why don't hey, you, you wanna... Why don't you try? Why don't you, why don't you, why you get your permit and we'll go in and we'll get a Cessna and we'll 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 fly it back and forth to Germany. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, there there are series actually on TV is ferry flyers. Yeah, that actually do that. That, that was my crazy. that was my dream. My dream was to get a, get an airplane and do a, and and run like an island hopping business in like the Caribbean. Yeah, why not? That's what that? that's what I that was my dream job when I was you know nineteen years old. Of course, that's not how life works out. But I said, I think I I think you still could do it if you at least borrow a plane or share a plane with a friend and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and at least at least be co-pilot. You know, yeah, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I don't I don't understand why you give up so easily on such things. Yeah. I would totally try it. Maybe that'll be my retirement plan. Yeah, but 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 will you still remember how to fly in thirty years? Flying, flying is easy. Nah, but but landing, take, landing is not easy. Is uh, what, like and the emergency proceeds, procedures. Mm, it's kind of yeah. like motor motor memory, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, which, which is basically trading. close your eyes and scream. Uh, well, that's not that's not helpful. Anyway, anyway, so flight simulator 2020 is coming up. Yeah, and um, you know, and Hans Ippisch, the former coder of um, Rainbow Arts and later uh, CEO of Compotech Publishing and so on, he actually he actually switched and became. The European Department um, responsible person for Intellivision, mm-hmm. which is quite an interesting uh, switch. Right. So no longer publishing business. Mm. Back to game industry business. So we have talked about Intellivision and how they were coming. They were planning to make a comeback. Um, and at the time that we talked about it, there wasn't too much information about what they were doing. Um, but now, actually, quite a while ago, and I guess we just haven't seen it, um, they are the Amico, they're calling it, uh, or Amico, maybe, um, is their new, is the new console that will be out in 2020, towards the end of 2020. Nice. And they're saying that we're creating a console that parents want to buy, not what they were asked to buy, which sounds awful. Which is like, okay, we are third grade option. Yeah. 
Most every game being made for the home consoles these days is created with only the hardcore gamer in mind. We see a world where everyone is interested in playing at home and with friends, but this isn't currently possible because the barrier to entry is nearly impossible for a non-gamer due to the complexity of the controllers, intricacy of gameplay, expense of the hardware and software, and steep learning curve with an unbalanced fun factor for the beginner. Our goal is to create a console that both gamers and non-gamers are able to have fun with and play together. The Intellivision Amico, or Amico, is our answer to this gaping hole we see within the current video game industry. Yeah, basically I wouldn't say Amico or Amico, whatever. That sounds totally weird. Um, well, it's A-M-I-C-O. I, feel, I don't know how it's pronounced. Anyway, I feel like we had this already with uh, a Nintendo Wii. Yeah. Where, where, where your, your parents and your grandparents would even play video games mm -hmm. because they were casual. But then they moved away from the casual gamer focus again. Well, here's, here, uh, there's a full list of games that are expected to be available at launch. And we've got Astro Smash, Shark Shark, Baseball, Night Stalker, Skiing, Math Fun, Snafu, Utopia, Frog Bog. Boxing, bowling, basically your your generic Intellivision titles. Pong, Asteroid, Centipede, Tempest, Missile Command, uh, Miner 2049er, Super Burger Time. So we're really going Moon Patrol and R-Type. We're, we're going well, R-Type R-Type is not the classical. No? No. R-Type is more in the realms of uh, Katakis, Turrican, and all that stuff. Right, yeah. Our type is not a 70s title. No, no. We've got a lot of stuff here. That's, that, I mean, Toe Jam and Earl is, is amongst the uh, games to be released. Okay. Um, and television said that every title on the console will be family-friendly with no teen, mature, or adults-only rated titles. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. I guess. So, so no porn Barbie or something. Yeah. Not that there's a lot of that currently on other consoles. I mean, is there? I mean, I guess. I just made it up. But no, but I mean, what is that? That's an interesting question. Like, what is the current, um, the current state of porn games on, like, the PlayStation whatever number we're at? I have no idea. I never actually tried to find one. <laughs> well, I, I know, I know. <laughs> um... Or, or uh, you know, what's the other? What are the other uh, current? Oh my God! I, the fact that I can't even think of what consoles are current. Xbox of some sort. Xbox One. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what's so on the Xbox One? Is there a lot of like? Are there a lot of adult titles? I mean, you know, aside from like war stuff, where like, sure. Doom. And all that stuff. But Doom, yes. But but you know, I mean, that's not adult. That's. I don't know how I got on this topic. I don't, I don't, well, know. I don't know where I am. Eight, 18, 18 plus anyway. Yes. I'm probably running a fever. I don't know what's happening. Um, anyway, All so right. that's, that's supposed to be out October of 2020. Uh, we'll put a link to where you can read about it and see what they're doing in the podcast description below. Another news is THQ Nordic, our friends, actually got a hold of the development studio for the Alone in the Dark IP. Oh, okay. Which is nice. So we'll be questioning if they actually do something with that. I know Alone in the Dark 
that was quite scary. Right, right. At least as a as a kid for me, twenty yeah, years ago. Absolutely. Well, any other news do you have? Yes, picked? I got two things. I got one is the IDE sixty four is back in stock, so. From the Czech Republic. Yes. Nice. Yes. So if anybody wants to order the IDE sixty four, go to IDE sixty four dot org, and you can order one. Uh, it you know lets you hook up IDE devices, and there's a compact flash slot and USB and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Also. Um, a couple of months back, we talked to Chris Abbott and Rob Hubbard, who were getting ready to do their live concert. 8-Bit Symphony, yes, yeah. Yes, and that has now occurred. Um, and I've noticed that our, our, our fine Andrew Fisher attended with his... Of course. Uh, Andrew Fisher, who I want to point out, not only released a video for us, an unboxing, I believe... But like yeah. took time away from getting married to do so, and then took his new wife to the Eight uh, Bit Symphony. So first, congrats to Andrew on on his on his marriage. That's awesome. Also from my side. Yes, um, and and also you know so so um, the Eight Bit Symphony went off. Apparently, it was awesome. Um, Andrew was there. Uh, I look forward to maybe we should talk to him and find out some information about it. That would be pretty cool. Of course. Um, and yeah, so that's and and it was a, a, a packed house from what I gather. It was well received. Very cool. I hope that Rob will also come to Cologne, and then if he comes to Cologne, I will definitely be there. Yeah. Awesome. So what's the other bit of news? Well, that, that was it. There were two, the IDE 64 and 8-Bit Symphony. <laughs> okay. That was it. Uh, well, that's... that would be all from me too. Okay, so well. Yeah, enjoy let's... the interview yeah. with Chester Jones and hear about data recovery, right to repair, how Apple is, well, trying to make you pay more than actually necessary and all that stuff. So today... AJ and I, we are talking to Chessa Jones from iPad Rehab. Hello, Chessa. Hello, guys. How are you? I'm doing good. Hope you're doing fine as well. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So you are basically known for being that person that um, has a YouTube channel and is also repairing, as we can see in the background, iPads, iPhones, and so on. And you made yourself a name in doing recovery, data recovery from yes. Apple devices, which Apple says isn't possible. <laughs> and um, maybe we should start at the beginning because I heard that the reason why you got into phone and uh, tablets repair is actually that that was a toilet accident involved. It was an accident. I was trained in a completely different field. So I spent a long time staring down a microscope to learn about the molecular genetics of pancreatic cancer in Scott Kern's lab at Johns Hopkins University. And then I came to Rochester, New York, where I live now, and I was a biology professor at the local college. And I did that for a long time until I had four kids and then my kids, I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. That was a big risk. So I gave it all up to be a stay-at-home mom, which was super fun. 
then they started breaking things. <laughs> and as my four children started to break more and more things, I learned to fix more and more things. Then one day I had twin two-year-old daughters who flushed my iPhone 4S for me. <laughs> and I asked them recently if it was on purpose and they said, oh yes. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> did not know, I did not know that until about a week ago. Um, so I, I did what anyone would do, tried to get it out of the toilet and it was stuck. So I read how to use one of those uh, drill augers that you can drill into the toilet, couldn't get it out. So I Googled, hey, internet, how do you take a toilet out? And I took it out of the house to the front yard, smashed it with a sledgehammer and got that iPhone 4S out. And then I did what anyone would do and looked on the internet, how do you fix your phone? And I figured out that if I cleaned it out, dried it out, and I put a new battery in it, that phone would turn on, which is a pretty big miracle. It would turn on, but it wouldn't charge. Hmm. So I could use it. I could make calls on it. I could see all of it. was so alive. The entire sum of the world's, anything the world has ever known, it's in my hand. But when it ran out of batteries, it was so dead. That I, I know why you didn't you didn't use rice, right? You know what? I was <laughs> dumb enough to use rice back then, um, which is funny because that's the video that I'm going to do next. You can see I've got uh, here in, here in my shop. My next video is going to be to do some science. I've got a hum humidity meter and I've got some rice and I've, I'm going to put it to the test, which is better rice or a box of lizards. So I also have a box of lizards. I'm thinking they're going to end up the same. And uh, we're, we're going to have a lot of fun with that this week. So that's the plan over here on iPad Rehab YouTube channel. Um, but my, you know, my girls, they broke my 4S in the toilet. I dug it out. And then it really led to this relatively, at the time, new area of iPhone repair, which was micro soldering and actually fixing the logic board. Mm. So... I had to learn how to use a multimeter and buy some equipment. And after you spend 18 hours a day staring down a microscope at iPhone boards, eventually you begin to see patterns and recognize that these things fail in signature patterns. And you can find them and fix them. And that's the only way to get back your memories if you have not backed up your iPhone is to get that phone to turn back on enough to enter your passcode in to decrypt the data and retrieve all of those pictures. You said back then there were not many businesses that, that did iPhone repair. So that means like it was very successful at Apple saying only we can fix it. Nobody ever tried besides Apple themselves. I think there's, there's a difference between what we call screws and glues and micro-soldering. So back then, micro-soldering was completely unheard of. Um, but there, there, there was some amount of what we call screws and glues, general phone repair. Um, that, there was a culture, though. The culture was that you, you really shouldn't... It, it wasn't standard to open up an iPhone. It was, it was, you know, you're avoiding the warranty. Don't you know? Right. It was, uh, you can really see a massive culture shift in the last few years 
Um, as we've done more videos, well, the whole point of the YouTube channel was to just raise awareness that things like what we do is possible. And it's done by people that, that you'd sit next to on a train and not think anything. Regular people, you know, not special white-coated, you know, you don't need to have a fume hood and a clean room and a white suit. It's just regular moms sitting around here, you know, learning how to do this stuff. Well, you said that uh, micro-solding wasn't heard of back then pretty much, but there were other devices besides iPhones that would require micro-solding, no? Yes. So micro-soldering is really just an extension of what we all used to expect in our towns, which was that there would be some guy with a shop who knew how to fix everything. And that guy had vacuum tubes and electronics and he knew how to fix stuff, but he got old and there's a technology transition point where things that were of a certain scale that you could work on, you could solder with a big radio shack iron. And that's what soldering was for electronics that shifted scale. So now it's the exact same stuff. We use a multimeter, but instead of the stock leads that are on the multimeter, which you can see, You know, the stock lead is fat. We put on the tiny little micro leads so that we can take these tiny little measurements. And we work under a microscope. So it's just the same stuff that we've always done culturally, except for the guy that was on the corner. He got old. He retired. And now there's this kind of void where there was a sort of a blank spot for a few years there where nobody, you know, everybody kind of thought, well, that's gone. That's died out. You can't fix stuff anymore, mm -hmm. but you can, you just need to invest in not, not expensive. Maybe this whole setup costs maybe $2,000. It's us. It's not massively expensive microscope, couple hundred dollars that then you can return to being able to use a multimeter, find short circuits, find open circuits and replace these components because, you know, under the microscope, they're just like the old days. It's just <laughs> when you kind of look at them in your hand, holy smokes, that is tiny. That is a grain of pepper. But you don't stop there. You also teach others. You also have teaching classes. You do. So when I was teaching myself and with the help of the internet, because I believe the internet can teach you anything. So <laughs> I um, would ask questions and just read everything that I could. But a lot of my own personal path to learning how to microsolder was trial and error. There were, there were months or maybe even a year's worth of time where I didn't have the experience to recognize that the equipment that I was using needed to have the heating element replaced. I just believed if it said it was 300 degrees, it was 300 degrees because that's what it said. I didn't have a way to have the experience to recognize just in practice, uh, this isn't working, something's wrong. So I started this course, Practical Board Repair School, where we focus not on uh, a bunch of equations and theoretical stuff, but on practical troubleshooting to solve real life problems to make devices work a little bit longer than they otherwise would. And we've trained people from all over the world that come here to Rochester. And we're really excited right now because we're about to do something new with our training. And this 
Friday starts our new class, this master class, where we're combining expertise with folks that we don't talk to a lot. So that's, you know, here's Frank from Phone Kong all the way from China. His first time in the U.S. He just got off the plane an hour before this interview. <laughs> and we're so excited to just see these tiny little differences in the way people have been working on these same problems in their own isolated communities all over the world to begin mm -hmm. to share that knowledge is really fun and it really kind of shows us that there's a lot that we can do for microsoldering repair of anything actually it's more spread than i thought i mean um when when my iphone 7 plus was out of warranty after two years i actually went to a third party repair store and they also do micro-solding and all those other replacement stuffs. So you can even find it in Germany. And um, I got a better battery in than Amazon, uh, sorry, uh, Apple. Apple themselves are actually offering because the battery was dead after almost two years. Despite Apple told me on the, on the phone, on the customer service line, according to the test values, the battery is fine. So we don't know why your phone is depleting so fast. And I thought, okay, screw it. I, I get it replaced anyway and see what the testing program inside the iPhone was wrong. It was the battery that was get going bad. Despite Apple keep telling me I must be using it wrong. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, that's, that's the big thing that people don't recognize. And that's where we really need to shine a light. If you are just a regular user, it makes sense that you would think something's wrong with my phone. I should ask the people who made it. What's wrong? And for most things that go wrong with phones, they don't know because they don't repair the common problems. They don't repair audio IC faults. They don't troubleshoot burned TriStar chips. The common, common things that we see every single day, they don't fix it. So if you, they don't fix it, they can't recognize that that's what this problem is or the symptoms. It's like a, it's like being a, going to a physician that doesn't actually see patients. You know, you're just asking, you know, this, oh, I heard you were a doctor. Uh, yeah. How many patients have you ever, you know, helped? Uh, none. <laughs> well, what's wrong with me? Uh, yeah. you know, they, they don't know because they don't actually do repair. And that's a big thing to ask the common end user. It's a big leap to say, yeah. So you went to the people that made the device and they told you, they're never going to say, we don't know. They're going to make up a reason. And then <laughs> the reasons that we hear I mean, even in my own personal life, like I've, I've taken things that I know this is iPhone 6 plus touch disease that my husband got on an in-warranty phone. And they, you know, I send him to Apple because it is in-warranty and rather than fix it myself. And he gets there and they tell him, oh, it's your battery. No, it's not. It's touch disease. It doesn't have anything to do with the battery. What are you talking about? What, what, so is, they, what is touch disease? <laughs> touch disease is one of the common signature problems, the ailments of the iPhone 6 Plus, 6 and 6 Plus. So the iPhone 6 Plus was the first phone to be in the relatively bendy housing. Mm. And it gets what we now call flexion-based defects. Think of the logic board as like a little diving board. And if you flex it up and down just at a micro scale, 
then you can pop up the corner of certain chips that are along these fault lines. That's what happens with the touch chip in the iPhone 6 Plus. So you'll have intermittent touch defects with the touch screen doesn't work. Sometimes it doesn't work, sometimes it doesn't work, now it works, now it doesn't. And that will continue on until you have no touch at all. Very straightforward presentation, very classic fault. It's, it's you know, always the exact same thing, which is, is one certain spot under the chip is peeled up a little bit. Very repairable if you go to a competent micro-solderer. I also figured it's not only the problem to find a place where they repair it for you, but um, I, um, I also figured it's a problem to get the parts. For example, uh, when, when my front was scratched up, I got an, I don't know if you can see it, I got a red front, yes. which is actually for an iPhone 7 Plus not available from Apple. So right. on the customs form, they wrote mobile phone flex cable. Because right. if they wrote <laughs> on the customs form what was really inside, German customs would have uh, confiscated it, right. saying it was um, not... Um, uh, was you would say counterfeit. It would be a counterfeit, a, a spare part. So that is why the shiny sender wrote mobile phone flex cable. I was like, okay, I didn't know I ordered that one. <laughs> right. So, um, well, um, it's even even worse than that. We, where we have, we have a pile here of cracked original screens. Now, there's nothing wrong with the with the LCD, the actual TV screen of your phone, there's nothing wrong with it. The glass on top is cracked. So what should we as a society do with those? One idea is we should throw them into a landfill. Or refurbish. Yeah. Right. And the other idea would be, well, there's the, the expensive part is fine, the actual LCD. Why don't we put some new glass on it and then it could be a screen again? And it would actually be the best screen that you could get for your iPhone because it's the original LCD compared to aftermarket LCDs at the time. And then if you ask, you, who in the whole world would be the best at doing that job of refurbishing your original LCD, then I'd argue that the best people for that job would be people in China, because China is where the screen was made to begin with. So those guys are going to be very familiar with the techniques, the tools, the glues to actually do that job. So we sent a batch of our own, I own this, these are my original cracked LCDs where the screen itself was fine, but the glass was cracked. I mail it to China to guys who, who are really the world's best at refurbishing those screens. And refurbish itself is kind of a word that nobody likes. It makes you think of an old sofa. You know, so you could say, you could swap that word, word out and say like they re-glass them or whatever you want to say because it's a really fantastic thing that they're doing. They're making these LCDs turn back into beautiful screens that no one could recognize as not the original screen. It's been re-glassed. It's been recycled. It's been magicked back into an original iPhone screen, except that the glass has been replaced at some point. So these then are going to be mailed back to me. They're mailed back to me and they have on them 
on the on the little tiny teeny little get out your microscope piece of the screen here i'll show you where it is right here right there see there's an apple logo that is this that is smaller than a grain of rice which i also have right here so it's super <laughs> tiny but that apple logo was put there by apple why to to identify that this is an original Apple made LCD. So Apple put the logo on there for the purpose of identifying it as an original LCD. So now when it comes back to me, these are mine that I have sent out to China that I'm now receiving back to me. My own property is uh, at the border. The border agent says these screens have an Apple logo on them. Yes, put there by Apple. It's not a counterfeit logo. It's not, there's nothing untoward here. This is our very best mechanism to, to produce the very best quality good that we are allowed to have mm -hmm. is this exact process. We couldn't be doing, we couldn't be bending over backwards anymore to get the very best for our customers. And since it has an Apple logo, the U.S. Customs Border Patrol seizes that entire package. So contraband and anything else with it is also contraband. So this is a, a, an order of like $2,000 worth of uh, the screen refurbishing plus some chips that were completely unrelated. All of that gets sent to Apple where they could say, you know what? I see what's going on here. This is either original or we can't tell the difference between this and original. So give it back to Jessa. Uh, or they can say, nope, that's um, ours because it's got our Apple logo on it, throw it in the trash. And that's what they chose to say. So Apple was not uninvolved. They had a chance to say, no, it's fine. She can have that. It's actually great that, that uh, she's trying to get this is indistinguishable from original. That, nope. They said, nope, that's contraband. That's got an Apple logo on it. Yeah, we put it there. Yeah, it's an original LCD. But we are going to have, we're not, we're not going to allow Jessa to, we're going to steal her property and throw it away. And that's just, and there's nothing that she, she can do about that. And that was really, really frustrating. And it's, and when I then ask around, hey, everybody else that I regularly see in the, in the global repair community, how many of you guys have similarly had, confiscations like this everyone tens of thousands of dollars worth of confiscated um, as close as we can get to original parts and what what are you allowed to have then oh you're allowed to have the cheapest crappiest knockoffs that have nothing to do with apple and therefore they have no apple logos because every part of them is 100 percent not Apple and never was Apple. They're completely invented, right? They're 100% aftermarket. Hmm. Well, but really by a... law, it's not illegal to actually get your own stuff repaired. So that's, I guess that's probably not 100% according to the law what Apple is doing. Though it's illegal to be in possession uh, you know, of uh, something with an Apple logo on it. Like, for example, to the letter of the law, this is illegal. Let me take my iPhone. I'm going to take my Jess's iPhone. And I'm going to take, I'm going to open it up. And I'm going to take, take out the battery. I'm going to put in an aftermarket battery like you have in your phone. So now it's modified. It's no longer original. I have put in, my phone, I own it. I'm putting in my aftermarket battery now i'm going to mail it to uh, to frank in china and he's going to and i'm just to say hey frank just put it in the mail back to me don't do anything else other than put it in the mail back to me comes back to me 
that could be confiscated at the border because all iPhones have Apple logos on them. And this is no longer an original iPhone. I've modified it by changing the battery. That wow. now, they could, by the same law, they could confiscate that as that's contraband because you have something that is not original. You know, you're, you know, they throw away my phone. That's really egregious. And that's the current status of these, of these laws. Wow, okay. Hmm. I, I have to admit, when when my phone was out of warranty, I only heard about all those complications afterwards when I saw your videos and Louis' videos. And um, I had no idea. I just looked on the internet, what, what's the cheapest place to get my, my glass front exchanged from a black to a red one? And my battery exchanged, and um, they were the only ones allowing the customer to bring his own parts. The others wouldn't allow it even. They would say, no, we want to use our own OEM replacement third-party stuff. So I was like, okay, no problem. I just heard about this issue afterwards. And um, on, on Sunday, we actually had an interview with Scotty Allen, who is known as the iPhone guy who actually put an iPhone 6 together from parts um, from the Shiner market. So the parts are available um, in a way, you know. And I actually was surprised that a, that a third-party repair store in Germany would be able to replace the glass without the screen. Because he says even in the USA, not many businesses still do that nowadays. So it's all a bit more complicated than the normal customer would think. It's it definitely is. And if we you know if we just sort of took the topic of what goes into a screen, you know, the, another really great thing to talk about. Um, there is there is this idea that a screen is a screen. The public thinks the screen is a screen, and that's not true. So there's sort of a continuum between what you can get from Apple. If you went and got a screen replacement at Apple, you would get an original Apple screen that's gone through Apple quality control. And that screen would come with brand new original front camera, a brand new ear speaker, a brand new ambient light sensor, a brand new proximity sensor, and a brand new home button with a fingerprint sensor. Because they, in their way of doing things, they don't allow their technicians to have the deep responsibility to transfer your front camera from your old screen to your new screen. That's just, let's eliminate that variable by, by kind of making their screens be one assembly with many, many new parts that you don't necessarily need to replace, but that's how they standardize repair. Now, if you go to the other end of that continuum, let's go to the very, very other end, and you'll be able to find someone out there who is, who is able to find the cheapest, held together by spit and chewing gum screen that is completely aftermarket. The LCD has a little bit of a pink haze around it. It is going to fall apart the moment you toss it on your bed. It'll crack instantly. Uh, that screen itself in its assembly and its construction and its price is really, really different. So you have this entire continuum of, of different hybrid pieces. Let's say that there's seven layers of, a, of what we think of as a screen. You could imagine all sorts of different hybrids that have mixtures of how much 
original and how much aftermarket and how much uh, original, but it actually had a, uh, it got, it was a defect. So the original people threw it on the, in the trash. It's a really broad, broad field. And in the U S there were times where price has created different pressures. There was a time where it was incredibly difficult to get quality new LCDs, the, the, the TV of your screen. Um, so you, you couldn't get them. They were really expensive. So what did people do? They learned how to refurbish. That, that in the US, ref, the idea of taking the glass off and refurbishing the screen yourself, it's fairly specialized. But now there are some operations that do it pretty well. And there didn't used to be. There's a lot of people that try to do it in-house. And it's very specialized. You know? And then there are people that do what I did, which is to send that stuff out to China or somewhere else where they do it regularly. So there's a, a, a whole biology of, of screen management and, and figuring out what, what the best screen is for you. It's not just as simple as a screen is a screen is a screen. So what do you actually do now? Did you decide to not, to not tinker with the customs anymore and just do it yourself? So I do not refurbish LCDs because that is a very specialized field that is outside of my microsoldering wheelhouse. So for screens, what, what we do now is we will um, work with U.S.-based parts suppliers that we trust where some of those guys have started working with some in-house refurbishing operations. So what they'll do now is something called a swap, where if I just send them, you know, here's a box of iPhone 7s with a cracked screen, then they will send me back refurbished original LCDs that were done here in the U.S. Um, by their larger operation, which is, which is going to be a far better way of refurbishing screens than anything that I could do here in-house because it's very specialized. But that also means it's more expensive for your customers in a way, because I guess they are not as cheap as China. That's true. Right. It is, it is going to be more expensive for the customers to, to have U.S. refurbishing, which is fine. You know, I, don't, I think most people are, are you know, happy with that. But there, it didn't used to be an option. You know, there, you, there used to be no feasible way in the U.S. to actually get the screens refurbished to the same quality. Like it, I can't tell this is an original um, standard. And now I will say that the aftermarket technology said, faced the same pressure. Where can I get a good screen? There was a time period where the new originals were just extremely expensive. So these other technologies were developed. So now there's been some of the better U.S. domestic parts suppliers have sent people to China to work with Chinese factories and say, this one is too, you know, I just did one that clearly had a bad aftermarket screen. It's too thick. You know, so they'll have somebody in China going, this is too thick. How can we make it thinner? And to work with Chinese factories to develop the kind of quality aftermarket parts that U.S. customers and others, you know, and other European and wherever else, you know, folks that really appreciate having a replacement screen that is as close as possible to original, where in other parts of the world, folks are like, whatever, I want the cheapest possible. And it's all really about choice and education. 
so that as you as a consumer know that you do have a choice, you know that a screen isn't a screen, they're all different, and that you recognize that if, if you want the cheapest screen possible, then, then you have an option for that. If you want the as close to original as possible, that you have an option for that. If you want to have a board repair and keep using this same phone, that you have an option for that. There's lots of options for free thinking adults to use their brain to figure out what are my options and to weigh those options themselves. The, the thing that's uh, irritating is when the manufacturers imply that there's only one option, which is their poor or non-existent repair stream. Uh, that's your only option. And if they don't fix it, there is no way to fix it by a new phone. Right. That's really unfair. Or, or get Apple Care. <laughs> right. Well, Apple Care is, you know, it's the same thing. Like what is what does Apple Care look like? You know, I'd argue that that Apple Care you know, you're you're using manufacturer repair. And what do we know about them in repair? They don't do it. Right. So, for example, this iPhone 6 Plus touch disease that we just talked about is a massive epidemic to the tune that you will know somebody that has suffered from this problem. If you, you know, you'll, somebody in your circle will be, oh yeah, it happened to my six plus. It's massively huge problem. Right now, Apple still doesn't repair it. That we know exactly what you need to do to repair. You need to take off the chip. You need to add a strengthening jumper to modify the board to overcome the original defect. And then Reball, put that chip back on. You'll never have touch disease again. Lifetime warranty, like all quality independent repair shops, lifetime warranty on every touch job. Mm -hmm. That's standard. If you go to Apple, they don't lift any chips or put any micro jumpers. All they do is they will sell you in your Apple Care Plus swap phone. What you're getting in the white box is somebody else's geriatric logic board that's already been in their pocket for a hundred sit and stand cycles and molded to the shape of their ass. And then you are, you're getting that in a new white box. How long is that really going to last? Typically, you know, they'll have a 90 day warranty. So it's, it's, yeah, it's yeah. even that option is not that great. I think I saw a video where you were exactly covering this topic and you were surprised that the refurbished phone the customer got and replaced for his broken phone was actually a water-damaged phone that was badly repaired by Apple. Hmm. And you were shocked that this was in such a bad shape. So you said, maybe it can barely um, stay alive within the 90 days warranty, but it would soon die after. It's just, we, we don't really have a lot of visibility on what their in-house repair looks like. But what we can see is that, um, A, most of the time when, if, if, you, if we went down and did an experiment right now and said, let's trade in all these six pluses with touch problems. A, you have to pay them 150 bucks for that, quote, repair, yeah. which is just them harvesting your phone and swapping them with another. Now, if we opened up the, the ones that you get then that day, none of them actually have the micro jumper. So they are all susceptible to that same defect. Now, some of them, we can see that they made a change. There's a brand new logic board. And now that logic board is different than it originally 
the original version of 6 plus they now have this black tar called underfill on that chip well that doesn't solve the problem so we'll still now we'll see ones that have the black tar underfill which was apple's solution still get touch disease because that's not really solving the problem that's just kind of sticking a band-aid on that spot by putting some super glue there which is really what this stuff is black super glue we're just going to super glue the chip on there and be fine for 90 days it's it's not it's not fantastic beautiful repair and then many many times we'll open up these um apple refurbished devices and we will see when they are when they do have repairs that's that's often a lot of flux a lot of solder balls a lot of other things getting heated up and it's it it certainly it doesn't <laughs> you would they would not be able to win a contest called who has the prettier repair product compared to independent repair which is surprising because Apple is a premium brand and you pay more yeah. you than you do for Android phones. Right. That's their that's their clever marketing shtick. And they've done a really good job with creating the impression that there's something special about an iPhone that makes it somehow, you know, unacceptable for you to open it up with a screwdriver which is ridiculous. I mean, no one would think twice about changing a battery on any other piece of electronics. We, you know, Christmas morning, you have a screwdriver there so that you can put batteries and take batteries in and out. You know, phones are just batteries and things you plug into a logic board. They're, they're not special. Right. You know, a bunch of stay-at-home moms can learn how to fix them in their dining room. It's not and this, this some magical thing. More than just that, that, the phones too, because I'd see this. You know, I, I like Apple. I've got an Apple laptop. I like the machines, but the newer ones, when you do open them up, it's it's glue and tape and and stuff, and it's so it, it looks so nice on the outside, and then the inside is so inelegant. How they're doing all this, it's kind of shocking almost. Yes, yes, it is just cashing in on creating a brand that creates an impression that. There's, you know, white lab coats and fume hoods and, you know, the hand of God will open your, will open your iPhone. When really the truth is that you have um, some, some software things that are really not great at picking up hardware devices. There is no such thing as a magical machine that can tell you that, that you know, run diagnostics. There, you know, like we did a fun experiment here one time during one of our trainings where, uh, you know, we will get Apple authorized uh, providers will come to our training because they want to learn how to actually fix stuff <laughs> since they can't learn that at Apple authorized repair. So we'll have Apple authorized folks come in here with all of their, you know, kind of, uh, hey, hey, let's look under the veil kind of things. And we've seen one of them had access to uh, the Apple diagnostic software and we had this horribly water damaged iPhone 5 that we had been fixing all day, clear and short. So the whole thing looked like it had been in a baby's diaper for about six months. <laughs> we, we put it back together so it would turn on. And, and the Apple diagnostic software said, no problems detected. You, if you're, your eyeballs look at it, you're like, this thing is barely hanging on by a thread. That's ridiculous. So they don't have experience and they don't really have tools that are looking to detect these common 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 faults because they don't fix those faults so they don't they didn't build tools to test for them 
It's completely, you know, out, outside of their wheelhouse. Just like my iPhone problem. I was using it wrong. I was listening to music. Yeah. And while I was listening to music, I could really see how the battery is depleting every second from 100 right. to suddenly like 30. And <laughs> so um, that that was really shocking for me to hear on the phone like from the Apple support. Oh, it's fine. No problem. No worries. It's supposed to do that. Yeah. Um so, well, I did recently. I mean, the, it's just institutionalized repair. And and to be clear, there's nothing wrong with that. Like I can totally see that some people in this world would want to say, "Yeah, I get it. I don't want in my iPhone. I don't want to have to trust some person to source me a screen. I want the Apple screen." There's nothing wrong with that. That's one option but it's not the only option and we all don't don't think like that right. but what's funny i you know they're institutionalized so i um i was you know reading the news a week ago or so when the bad news came out about the right to repair in canada voted down in the same week the bad news came out about in california the right to repair bill was withdrawn because it they knew it couldn't pass mm. and that was really depressing and some of the uh, the lobbying that had gone into those negative decisions were the idea of apple lobbyists telling you that uh, things like changing your battery is unsafe and you know sure it maybe maybe it is just like thousands of other things that you do uh, like, you know, play softball, you know, like, the, the, right, but it's, right. it's still sort of your, your risk to take. Anyway, I, the, I decided to challenge Apple on the idea that they really cared that much about my safety. So I used my iPhone to order a steak from a local restaurant and it showed up <laughs> here and I looked at it and I have this giant steak knife. So I decided to call Apple support and ask them, <laughs> how should I proceed? Because I'm really not trained or certified. I've never been to culinary school. I've got this giant knife. I've ordered this steak with their iPhone. I feel unsafe. Can they come cut my steak for me? And I said this on Apple chat support and she answered me. And guess what she said? I'm going to make you guess. Take a guess. Don't know. All right. Uh, she said, uh, you need to make an appointment at the Apple store to cut my steak. Seriously. It's just, like, it's seriously. just so canned. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, I'm, I've captured all of this, and that's like I planned to, to make a video about Apple tells me to go to the Apple store to cut my steak for safety. You know, like, it's just ridiculous. You know, like, she... Just wanted, you know, it's she's got call times. You got to get this. This is clearly some some person who's just joking around. Shut her up somehow. Make an appointment at the Apple Store. Like it's incredibly institutionalized, and it's <laughs> you know, and it's really maddening, and there and it's a frustrating process. And thank God you don't. That's not your only option. That you can right. just say I'm I'm choosing to just never deal with any of that. I can't trust those people because it's. Just like any other large corporate entity, the worst thing in the world is to try to deal with customer service for a big corporation. If, if I could skip that on anything else, my phone service, my internet, I would love to go to the independent guy and just be able to talk to a person. Yeah. You know, there's people out there that value that or prioritize that as well. 
You know, Actually, it reminds me a lot, you yeah. know, when you're talking about the safety aspect of it, you know, how it's not safe to replace your batteries. It reminds me of a, of a, here in New Jersey, you're not allowed to pump your own gas. And, oh, yeah. And, and the, the, the reasoning behind it is that it's, it's not safe and you might, you might hurt yourself. Although every other state in the country, people are pumping their, like, like, are, are people just bursting into flames everywhere else? Is this, you know, <laughs> like, like, are we really that, that incompetent where we can't pump our own gas? But I mean, yes. it's the same. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, it's funny in New York that we had the same thing with the gas, but instead of having it be, you can't pump your own gas, they went around and they cut off the little uh, things that automatically keep the gas handle up. Oh, you know what I mean? Seriously? The little like, yeah. yeah. So they went, they went around and it was big law. So those are all cut off. So now you have to stand there oh holding my God. it. You know, so it took about nine seconds for the entire populace of New York State to realize, well, you know what? My gas cap just shoves in there. And I'll hold that thing up while I go and get some coffee. <laughs> it's just, you know, oh really, really, um, really tough when big entities try to get into the business of, making our decisions for us mm -hmm. and not allowing us to use our own brains and to prioritize things such as safety versus replacement cost. You know, and there, I mean, there are some people that come in here that will pay twice the value of the phone to have us fix something that's really not feasible to fix. Right. But they, they, they really prioritize and value the idea of repair. And they have every right to make that choice. And I think that we should, you know, it just seems like a universally pretty good idea to say, why don't we support the choice of repair or, right. or not repair? That's, in order to support that choice, we need the parts and information. Yeah, and that's a big thing that we're talking about the right to repair uh, thing now. Like, I mean, I, I literally, like I stopped using an iPhone altogether. I ended up going to an Android because I have I have an LG and... You can. I've already replaced the camera. If you 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 can buy the parts from LG, they're like, here you go, have fun. You know, which right. is, which is kind of amazing. And I'm using the laptop that I have is an is a Mac, but it's one of the last ones they made where you could do stuff to it. Like the right. things they make now, everything is soldered on. You can't do anything when you get it. So right. it's it's, and I, and I've gotten to the point where I don't even want to look at the devices if I'm not going to be able to mess with them in some way. So, right. so let's talk about like the whole, like the right to repair and what is, why is that under, um, under fire, I guess, or, or why doesn't it exist? Because you were saying, you know, there's laws passed that have knocked it down. So the right to repair is probably a misnomer. So what it is, is a statement that says, Hey, guy who makes stuff, if you want to sell your electronic devices, in the state of New York, for example, then you have to make available to anybody the same parts and information that you make available to your own internal repair stream. So that's not, you know, that that's that's not as broad of a thing as people think think that it is, right? Mm -hmm. That doesn't seem like it. That seems like pretty much a no-brainer. Right. As it is. There, you know, a there's been a long culture of of 
manufacturers already voluntarily doing that from the dawn of electronics until pretty much now, um, car manufacturers were compelled in the exact same way. And that has gone pretty well. And we all appreciate and have you know, done done pretty well as a as a society where you now have the option to go to your independent mechanic rather than dealership repair only. So for the right to repair, it has um, it's it's an issue that right now is being argued at the state level in the US. So each state can make up their own rules. And that's separate than federal regulation. So each state is kind of making their own rules. So far, to my knowledge, this, these, these right to repair bills have never been voted down, as in, nope, we're not doing that. Don't ever bring it up again. Instead, it's more that they fail to progress. So in order for a legislation at a state level, you know, they only have a number of days on the calendar when they're in session in a year. And they have tons of good ideas you know, should we, you know, do this with the school lunches or should we do this with the water supply? They've got so many good ideas that the only ones that actually get enough support to come up for a vote, that those are really the squeaky wheels. So what we need is the people of the world to let their representatives know this is important to me. This is the squeaky wheel. I really would like to see you guys hash this out, come up with a solution, vote on it this session. And so far that that hasn't happened because every every small bit of grassroots, you know, activism is pretty easily squashed by a billion dollar budget of paid lobbyists to go and sit with these guys and tell them things like, well, you know, you're going to have just kids are going to be burning their faces on these batteries every day. Mm. Things that are really untrue. How are they supposed to know that that's um, really not, that's, that's overblown and, and not a real tangible risk. You know, it's not different than, than any other thing that is considered generally safe and acceptable. Right. Actually, myself coming from the retro era, I have I have similar problems finding people to replace a power button on my CRT monitor because they told me it's unsafe because it's high voltage. So that's of course another reason. But um, to see that people are dying out who know how to still repair the old stuff, and now we have the problem that you even can't repair the new stuff because of those laws. That means we are going to return to a tosset uh, culture that I remember as a child from the 90s when, when, when something was broken, most people said, oh, no problem, buy new. But now Isn't that, that we have is? this red... Pardon? Isn't that how it still is? I feel like we've been getting more and more towards that. Yeah, well, the problem is if you are a person like me who has a Game Boy and all those other old stuff, they are getting pretty expensive because mm -hmm. in the 90s, the people throw them away, so now they are rare. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you see the same starting with the original iPhone. If you want to have an original iPhone, good luck to find it at a good price. I've got, so, I've got um, a first-generation iPad. It's been sitting in a room there. I, I can't do anything with it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, just saying that... Finding somebody to repair something is always difficult. Yeah. Um, 
So it shocks me that because I thought for new devices it should be easier because you have all this knowledge. But if you say um, companies like Apple try to avoid even getting your own parts back to make repair possible, that's I really think, a tough thing. I think one of the worst or one of the things that people should be aware of is the story with the Beats headphones. So there was a guy once that came to my course who had made a a nice living for himself and a few employees locally. And this was in, I believe it was New Jersey or Long Island, New York. And he fixed the Beats headphones for all the neighborhood kids. And it was in a big enough area that he saw a constant stream to the point that he had hired specific employees to handle this volume. And he would go to a website that Beats had where you could buy speakers and the individual components that failed on these things. And he would open them up and he knew how to solder the two wires and to fix these headphones. And then one day, Apple acquired Beats. And guess what they did the next day? They took, they, they took that well-working had been had, was a you know it didn't require any effort. It was an existing way to locate parts to solve a specific problem to make these headphones for children to last longer. They said can't have that. Delete and they they completely just took that website down. They just hit the off switch. We don't want you to have the ability to fix those headphones, which is outrageous. These are kids. And they took away their ability to support this guy, his employees at the local level. He had to lay people off because Apple decided to turn off that website that he had been using to fix the neighborhood beats for the neighborhood kids. Mm. That's why the right to repair stuff is important. I know that in here, we get requests all the time. Can you put this connector back on? Can you put this back together? And the answer is yes, but... I won't be able to source a new one. So if you don't have the one that came off, it's, it becomes not feasible for me to, to try to research. I don't have any way to just order another one. And there are all kinds of things that I would love to fix. We're fixers. We love to fix. Even the stuff that doesn't make sense to fix, we still get interested in it. Oh, I don't know, maybe you can fix it. It's just a fun sport. It's a hobby. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a sport. Can you fix this old piece of crap? You know, and uh, if there was a website where I could go, even for things that don't make sense, like a, you know, like a, a thirty dollar coffee maker, if if I could order the parts for it, I would still have. Uh, you know, people that would want me to fix it anyway, even if they had to pay me 50 bucks to fix the $30 coffee maker, mm -hmm. because many of us prioritize not throwing every goddamn thing away. And taking those parts from older uh, phones that's, that were broken on other ways. I uh, mean, that is, that is what, what nowadays happens if you go to, um, to retro repair They right. just take two old devices that are broken and now make one thing that works again out of those two broken ones. Right. That is definitely a, a strategy. Um, but the, the less common the devices that you're trying to fix. So when you're trying to fix 
$30 coffee maker, buying a new $30 coffee maker doesn't really, nah, that's, you know, that's silly. You know, so you got to find another broken $30 coffee maker that's broken in the same way that, you know, it becomes unfeasible. Whereas, hey, can I just order um, the pump for this type of coffee maker from some sort of right to repair type database where you have, you're required to, to make this stuff available. And if it thing, you know, and if they want to say, all right, well, we only ever had a hundred of those parts. And as soon as we sell the hundredth one, we're not going to go make more fine. Uh, you know, that's perfectly reasonable. We're not asking you to do anything other than just give us access to stuff that you already have the same idea of just saying we're, all we're asking for is for you to turn that website back on for the beats headphone stuff. And when they run out, they run out, right. but it's unfair to restrict the access to that closet of the beats headphones. Right. On the other hand, I'm not sure how many customers would like, if you say I have to use a used part to repair your phone well, yeah, or like, your like tablet. Like you said earlier, you know, you can replace it with a used part, but how long is that part going to last now? Yeah, yeah. It's, I think that the, the consumer education needs to be that not all parts are created equal. And that's, that's what no one knows. So, for example, you know, even people that are, that are in my class that are industry experts working in cell phone repair shops, when I, I can regularly surprise them by saying, hey, look at this new iPad Air charge port. I'm going to open the package and I'm going to take it out new. Now, this would be one that has come to us through our uh, you know, supply chain, which is very gray. It's sort of parallel supply chain. We don't really know where these things, you know, originate or where, how did we get these? So when we look at these, let's say iPad Air charge ports under the microscope, maybe two out of two out of five will be so poorly constructed that the pins are barely making contact. Mm -hmm. And that's very similar to how the native ones are in the devices. <laughs> so you there's there's different degrees you can get the good charge port or the kind of crappy one they look all the same you know so it's really tough even the ones that are oem in the device are often hit yeah. or miss you know so it's it's um not all parts are identical to each other and there's something that um that not many people know but for example scotty said on sunday that um even those ports and those devices you can connect on it, even even them can have a firmware update. Now he was so, talking yeah, about the um, like that. he was talking about the um, the lightning to headphone or something, little cable because it's got a little board inside the cable that, yes. that the phone can yeah. Yeah, so so things like screens are the big one where mm -hmm. you, when you when you put all of this time into an aftermarket screen, it's got it's too thick. Now make it thinner. Okay, that's perfect. Now it's needs try to make it brighter on the whites. You know, like they they put an extraordinary amount of effort into this stuff, but the those screens have chips on them, and those chips are programmed, and those chips have software. And the device now has to communicate with those chips. So when those chips, and we saw this in iPhone 8, were aftermarket, then when Apple rolls out a new update, they're not considering that there might be a large crop out there of aftermarket mm -hmm. uh, LCDs that now all of a sudden 
people update their phone and now touch doesn't work because the aftermarket chips in the fraction of these screens don't work anymore. All of this could, you'd have a lot less sympathy for that problem if you had a choice to get an OEM screen, but you can't. You know, so this is all that you could possibly do. You can either throw your phone away. You know, Where we are going at the away. beginning of the cycle again. <laughs> right. Right. So let's talk about another topic. Um, we, we mentioned that, that at the beginning. You um, you also we um, you also do recovery of data. So yes. how how did that start? Because I think that's a field that uh, many repair services actually don't offer. Okay, so let's talk about data recovery for iPhones. The data on your phone is encrypted on the device by default. So full dish, full disk encryption. And that has been the case for a long time since the iPhone 4S. So if anything happens to your phone and the data is not backed up, there is no option to simply read the data off of the chip because it's encrypted on the chip. So then how can we get the how can we get it to decrypt well there's no mechanism to use you know any kind of artificial let's break the encryption tools you could but it would take multiple human lifetimes so that's not a feasible approach you're not going to be able to get back pictures of mom mom if you you know have to use a supercomputer in several human lifetimes to decrypt the data so the only feasible way to actually get that data to decrypt so that you can suck it off the phone is to make the phone work again enough make it work again enough it's got to boot up it's got to accept touch for you to enter the passcode and it's got to uh, be able to make image and and connect via usb so we we you know if you say well who's going to be really good at doing that it's going to be people who are already invested in repair of phones at the board level, logic board level. So people that have already spent a long time trying to just fix people's phones, they're gonna have a broad experience base to recognize the ways that iPhones fail at the logic board level. And those people are really good at making those phones work again, enough for data recovery to happen. Desoldering chips, they'll have all that stuff and they'll see those patterns. And that's different than if you think about traditional and conventional data recovery. So guys that do um, forensic data recovery, digital data recovery with ones and zeros. So those guys are a different breed. And if you are a data recovery company, how have you been making money over the last you know, quarter of a century? you've been recovering spinning hard drives, mechanical hard drives. Those are the, well, that's where we always had our data. You know, all through the 90s, every, every lab in the world had all of their data on some kind of a spinning drive. And sometimes they're not backed up. So they would stop working and there would be this expertise that a data recovery company would have, which is we know how to open up spinning hard drives and platter swap and do whatever else we need to do in order to get those to work again. Well, that's not where the world's data is anymore. That's kind of gone to the wayside. So now all those guys in these well-established, well-known data recovery businesses 
are having to deal with the fact that a lot of the world's data are trapped on iPhones and now modern Android devices that also now all have full disk encryption. So these guys are having to get into late, you know, get into the business. Well, we got to learn how to fix up some phones. And they are, it's really kind of outside it, their expertise. It's very specialized. And it takes a ton of experience to just start seeing patterns. And it, so it kind of creates this weird thing where the best people in the world at iPhone data recovery are going to be your small, your smaller mom and pop shops that have been doing micro soldering for a long time. They're going to outperform the big, you know, $10,000 guys just, just because of that reason. And it's not even the phone I've read that on SSDs nowadays, that's also a similar problem because they also use encryption right. technologies. Right. So SSDs are, again, that's where the rest of the world's data is. And those are not something that you can take into a clean room and put on your white suit and open up. You know, that's not how they fail. Right. So I think the data recovery guys are really scrambling a little bit to uh, move into these sort of modern, modern ways of, of handling, you know, <laughs> my data's gone. Well, you got to learn how to fix an iPhone. That's just, that's how, that's how that works. You once made a video um, where you explained what you think the reasons are um, for Apple saying that data recovery is not possible if you didn't back up it on iTunes. And I think you said that it has to do with um, the reputation of Apple that your data is super secure. Yes, I do think that because it at first glance, it seems outrageous that crying mothers would go to the Apple store and be told there's nothing we can do for those baby pictures. Kiss them goodbye. You should have had it backed up. But that is what, what crying mothers are regularly told, you know, that, or, or when they're not told they're out of luck, they're told, well, if you have to, you can go to one of the, the $2,000 to $10,000 big data guys, which again, aren't really their best option for data recovery of those same mm -hmm. pictures. So why is why would Apple do that? And the reason that the only thing that makes sense to me is um, from my own experience. When I first started fixing devices, I looked for ones that were broken on eBay, and I would find and I could buy that that your iPad. I bet you right now that that iPad first generation that's sitting behind you, I would make a bet with you that it does not have a passcode. Does it? Nope. Yeah, because we didn't we didn't have passcodes. Not no first generation iPad has a passcode on it. And it it was, you know, your Kindle doesn't have a passcode on it right now. You know, if you leave your Kindle here on my de desk, I can see like, oh, what have you been reading? And I can see your books, right? Yes. No one, it doesn't occur to us to protect that information. Like, oh, you can't see what I'm reading. I'm going to put a passcode. So there was this time where we have all forgotten, but it was common to not have a passcode mm -hmm. on your iPad and then also not on your phone. So we were taking pictures and we were, you know, take, writing notes that maybe we don't want everybody to see. You know, we were, we had some apps, we were doing some searches maybe we don't want everybody to know about. And, and those, 
from my own experience, when I first started learning how to do board repair, I was looking for devices to buy that were broken and I would buy them on eBay or Craigslist in volume from guys that had collected tons of these. And then I would start fixing them. And when, and part of what was so captivating about my original journey was that when I was buying these things on eBay, it was like I was buying an old diary from a, yeah. you know, from a, from an ancient time. And you would, <laughs> once you got it, once you got it working, you would be like, oh, this is really interesting to see the life and times of this historic person that I'll never know. Hmm. And there was one I can remember you know, kind of getting it to turn back on. And what I'm doing is deleting all the data and then selling them a refurbish. This was way back when, but I remember one, I, one, I got it to turn back on and there was nothing on it other than about a dozen photos. And they were all 12 photos of a newborn baby at the hospital, like brand new, like mm. on the scale, like the very first picture ever taken. And I remember thinking, man, I, I don't, think I can just hit delete and restore over these pictures unless I know that this, that somebody has these pictures. And so do I dare to try and stalk this person and call her up? And I decided, yeah, I'm going to do it. So I, I, you could figure out her name and you could see a map and figure out where she lived. You could find her on Facebook. I found her email address. So I wrote to her and said, Hey, uh, my name's Jessa. I'm a mom in New York. And I have an iPad that I think once belonged to you. And before I, you know, it was all crashed and messed up, but I fixed it. And before I restore it and sell it, I want to make sure that you have these pictures. So do you have these newborn pictures? And she, she writes back, oh my God. No, she, she, she wrote back, oh my God, no, I don't have them. Oh, thank you so much. And what had happened is she had bought that iPad, taken the pictures of the newborn baby, and then in their excitement to bring the newborn home, they put the newborn in the back of the minivan and they put the iPad on the roof while they buckled <laughs> the kid in there. And that was the last time they ever saw that iPad. Ooh. Drove away. They never saw it again. Mm -hmm. So who knows how it came to be on my desk. But here I am, a mom in New York, looking at pictures of this baby and thinking, you know, ah, you know. So that's the thing I don't think that Apple wants everyone to know, which right. is all those devices that you might have turned in under the impression that they were unrecoverable. Oh, it's destroyed. Oh, it's water damage. You can't get you can't water damage. It's water damage. You can't get past that. That now, if the world recognizes oh well for a lot of them like that lady's ipad it was smashed but after we put a couple of chips replaced and some new connectors it's totally fine so there's a lot of people that could realize uh so i'm i'm now trusting not necessarily the apple corporation but i'm trusting whoever apple gave these old boards to in the back of that dark room in whatever country those guys that what do we know about them we know uh a they uh steal schematics and put those on the internet so they have no qualms about that and we also know that uh you gotta that, that working conditions are often so poor that 
you, you know, you're not passing inspections and you're hanging up nets to prevent you from jumping off the building. Those are the people that we're now trusting with the baby pictures that we've turned in. And I think that Apple might not want want that. That that certainly doesn't fit with their narrative of them being the most secure device in the world. You know, so I think that maybe it's in. I could see how it would make sense to just sort of double down on the security. No, it's impossible because we want you to believe it's impossible. But not only talking about baby pictures, you were even involved in helping to resolve a murder case. Uh, well, we've we've had so much fun across the years with microsoldering and getting things to turn back on again because of these stories that are so captivating. So back then, in those days, one of the one of the devices that I bought came from eBay. When I fixed it, it came up in lost or disabled mode, and I ended up contacting the original owner and she you know had her own story of where she'd left that device she knew exactly where she left it a golf course etc cetera, etc cetera. and she like me is the child of a police officer so my dad growing up was a police officer and her dad growing up was also a police officer so the two of us kind of put our heads together and we we did some detective work and we ended up figuring out who had stolen her iPad. And so we, um, we, she ended up making a whole big case out of it. And I ended up flying to Maryland to testify um, that just something as simple as uh, this condition for this guy to have listed it in this way, he had to have seen the lost disabled message, et cetera, et cetera. Very, it was a very fun and cool story um, to, to, you know, help her out. It's been a really fun career, tons and tons of great connections. And, you know, I mean, it's just unbelievable. Like the, the guy behind me right here on this, this uh, iPhone 4S was at the bottom of a, of a lake 10 years ago. And, you know, the guy had it in his nightstand and then he just saw us on the news and he sent it in. And that thing is still on iOS 4.3. And it's just really cool that, you know, all of the baby pictures on that, that kid is now in middle school. You know, it's really, <laughs> really fun. Lots of, lots of great story, lots of great people. And I, I, mm. that's what I really like about this industry. Hmm. So <clears throat> is there anything you want to go further with? Are there any plans? I mean, you have even been on national television with your stuff and so on. So basically, you have reached all you ever wanted to reach. Well, she's or... on the Scene World podcast. Doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> That's right. So now I was. I yesterday I would have said Scene World podcast, then I'm done. Uh, <laughs> but now you know I can I can retire. Um, well, we our team is special because we um, have drawn from our local stay at home mom community. So we have you know one of our moms, Jean, is retiring, and so we're you know, had to look around and we found a new local mom to, to train. And we, we really kind of like showing that, uh, that, you know, anybody can learn how to do micro soldering and board repair. It continues to be tons and tons of fun. And we really love the idea that every town in the world 
should be able to support one shop, one fix-it shop mm -hmm. where you can use these tools to fix anything that's really, really tiny. And all it takes is doing it for a long time and coming out to training and figuring out how to, how to microsat are very fun. Actually, as you said, retiring mom, I think I've read somewhere that you said that you think women um, are even better in a way in boss repair than men. Uh, I, I don't I, remember what, 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 what your reason was, actually. What the reason was. Um, I think that one of the things that I notice as I train students is that iPhone board repair, so the repairing iPhone logic board, is really different than something like repairing a MacBook. So I call it uh, dogs and cats. iPhones are cats and MacBooks are dogs. And the way you treat a dog and a cat is different, right? So for a cat, when you're working on an iPhone, you have to you have to be very gentle. It doesn't like you to touch it in certain ways. You have to um, you have to be very delicate. And I think that I think that sort of in general, women are often well suited to a task that requires you to be very detailed, very patient. And to apply an appropriate amount of force at times, but other times be very gentle. And if those qualities really sound a whole lot like you're talking about a mom, right? You know, you got to be gentle at times, other times very forceful. You know, you've got to listen to the board, let it talk to you. You got to ask it questions. You got to listen. You got to be patient. Those are those are all sort of the the um, qualities that you statistically find that women have. So they tend to be really good at board repair once you can get them to consider it as, a, as something they might be interested in than they usually are. Oh. Actually, I have to admit, I never thought about that. I'm this kind of guy. I have something broken. I give it to somebody. I'm waiting for this person to fix it. And then I'm paying my money and I'm happy. But it's true. There is this, this one um, woman here in Germany that um, modifies and repairs Game Boys. And what she does, every time she gets something from me that is broken or I want her to modify, she always sends me pictures on WhatsApp about the cables and the soldering work she did yeah. and then she said maybe the maybe the cables are too thick maybe mm -hmm. i should use smaller ones or less stiff ones i was like i don't care how it looks inside the most right. important for me that is is that it works right yep <laughs> because i'm never going to to open it up anyway to right. look on the inside if the inside looks pretty but right. i found this a total different approach than what i was um experiencing experiencing in in the past yeah yeah and um i actually had some cases where where um the repair was done again by a different person because the original repair work was so bad that I was told if I didn't fix it again, it would have broken again in a few weeks. Right, so, yes. Um, there I learned repair is not always the same as repair. There's good repair that lasts. And there's bad repair that is breaking there's, in a few weeks. There's or fixing it again. and then there's unbreaking it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm yeah. good at unbreaking things, but I'm not yeah. very good at fixing them. 
Right. Yes. There's yeah. definitely a lot of personal style that goes into board repair. And I'd also say that people that are left-handed tend to do better at board repair because you, yeah, left-handed because you <laughs> grow up being a little bit ambidextrous if you're mm -hmm. left-handed. And when you have to do board repair, you, you have to have two things going on, hot air mm -hmm. and tweezers right. at the same time. They both need to be very detailed and controlled. So left-handed moms like Jean, uh, that's a <laughs> loss. That's a big loss. It's leave some big shoes to fill. Mm. I wonder, is there a repair you did that you originally thought was impossible? But you succeeded anyway. I mean, I mean, guess everybody in the repair business has this story where where she gave up on a repair, but a few weeks later, like, I I I have uh, succeeded. Yes, there's there's many of those, and I think in that category, I can remember there being a time where it, it was years ago where the iPhone five had a chip that's the U2 chip which in the iPhone 5 is located adjacent to the CPU, and it's covered with the same black superglue underfill. So your job, if you want to change that commonly damaged chip, is you have to separate this chip from the CPU. You've got to heat this chip up enough to liquefy the solder under U2 and pull it up without simultaneously heating up the CPU enough to bridge the solder balls under it. And I can remember struggling with that repair and thinking, this is impossible. I can remember you getting multiple cameras out to try to see the actual nanosecond when the solder balls would melt. And I can remember getting thermocouples from the barbecue grill and putting them all around to get that temperature exactly right. <laughs> And I can remember many people in the community were, this is impossible. We'll never be able to change this chip. And I had a thought about a week ago when I was, uh, I was like due to be at the pickup kids from the school. And I've got this iPhone five here that was here for data recovery. And it had, it needed to have that chip changed. I remember thinking, well, oh, that's an easy job. I should be able to just do that real quick. And I did. I replaced that chip in, I don't know, five minutes because now the, the just doing something a lot, uh, the, the tools, the, the strategies, the techniques evolve so that now that repair is extremely straightforward. It's no question. It's not difficult in any way. And I can just remember having that moment where I thought, man, there was a time which was only a few years ago where I thought this is impossible. And now I'm thinking, oh, this is easy. I can get this done because I have five minutes here before I got to walk out the door. Let's do this one real quick. This is the easy one. And that's really what's amazing about the pace at which this industry has expanded just with no manufacturer support, where the manufacturers are like, you know, whack-a-mole on, no, you can't see this or know this or have that. And yet it's this amazing story of the world working together You know, a guy from China is sitting here in Rochester, New York right now so that we can continue to share information against all of these odds and figure this stuff out anyway. And it's <laughs> so much fun. I absolutely love it. Um, about this rise to repair stuff, you also work a lot together. I saw with iFixit, right? 
Yes. I saw you, you. There are a lot of videos on their YouTube channel where you are involved and teaching them stuff. Yep. Or um, having yes. classes. Yep. So I fix it. Are fantastic people. You know, so um, you know, kind of going out there and meeting them personally. You know, not you know from from Kyle and Luke all the way down the entire organization. Everyone that I've met there at iFixit has the spirit of a repair person that's there because they care about repair. So their entire organization, their entire enterprise is 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 fantastic, and um, they. They certainly helped me when I was a beginner. When that first toilet phone, the first place that I went, well, how do you fix a wet phone? iFixit.com. And I asked, you know, I just asked, how do you change the charge port? Where do I get another one? And the folks there that take the time to volunteer and answer those questions, especially Mike Tyron, who is old turkey on their forum, he answers questions um, every single day, as well as Richard Meyer and a couple of other guys that are that are just really devoted to helping people figure out where to start on these kinds of projects. And that is so in opposition to the community at the Apple Support Community Forum, where they, the, the same thing, a user user forum where there's these user gurus that, are, that say, do not try to fix it, don't even think about opening it up. So it's very interesting how these two different groups that live online are so fundamentally different because of the people that they attract. So Old Turkey over there, I got a chance to meet him, which was really, really fun at an iFixit um, conference a few years ago. Um, and those guys there are, are absolutely fantastic. And uh, I believe doing anything we can to support Kyle and his gang at iFixit with uh, their parts and forum and everything is fantastic over there. Uh, interesting. We will talk to them in June. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, mentioning forum, I saw one of your recent videos, actually. You, you were um, telling the story of being banned on the Apple forum because you were telling people what they can do when they have a water-damaged phone and other stuff. I oh, thought yes. this pretty shocking. And then and then you registered yourself a new account and got banned again after two hours or something. <laughs> oh yes, I mean I it, it's it's funny that I have been irritated by the bullies at the Apple Support Community Forum starting in 2016 when Error 53 was a thing. So Error 53 hit iPhones where if you had ever replace the home button for any reason, years in the past maybe, you're walking around, you update your phone, boom, error 53 because you are not in possession of your original home button. So I can remember going to the Apple support community forum to ask around, like what's up with error 53 and was met by a wall of bullies. You know, it's your fault. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, you know, people don't have the right to choose to have a black home button on a white phone. Why not? <laughs> and and it was it was really egregious. It turned into a giant um, a giant fight where any voice of independent repair that suggested anything, opening up your phone to look inside, was just considered an attack on Apple itself. So I was banned 
for doing nothing other than making diplomatic answers to people's real life questions. Same as I would answer at ifixit.com and same as I would answer in person here at the shop and same as I would tell my own mom and dad, you know, real answers to real iPhone problems. And that's that they could not tolerate that. And so the culture over there is absolutely disgusting where there are a handful of elite users that spend all their time there and they have the ability to flag other people's responses. And then the Apple uh, moderator, who's an Apple employee, will then always choose to delete any flagged response. So these guys kind of have this power to change and shape the narrative of what Apple support community forum is and the reason why you know who cares this is a stupid forum just how about this don't ever go there again the problem is that if you were to google you know something like your iphone 7 or 7 plus rapid battery drain if you google problems like that they're going to lead to the apple support community forum because they appear to be they are the manufacturer it's the manufacturer's uh, place to to chat about problems so if you google that What's going to happen is you'll see results that are all, you know, try this software that doesn't work. Try this other thing that doesn't work. Read this blog that doesn't make sense. So you're looking for, yeah, but what does Apple have to say? And so when you see that search result that says Apple support community forum and you, you see a question, I have an iPhone 7 plus, the battery drains really fast. What could be wrong? Jessa says, well, you should... You know, it could be several things, you know, and I'll, we'll walk through each one of them. Do you use original chargers, et cetera? Let's have a chat about it. Um, and then I would recommend that you go to an independent repair provider who can change your battery, change your charge port, and if necessary, change your TriStar chip, which are the three most likely, um, you know, causes. Now, if you go to the Apple store, they can only do one of those, which is change your battery which they won't even be willing to do that in your case, right? Like if you have a, you know, this battery's bad. Well, if they don't recognize it as bad, they're not going to, you yeah. know, sometimes they're not going to change it anyway, even when that's the problem. So yeah, as my software said, it's fine. So it's fine. So therefore it's fine. And we're not willing to say, well, let's just see what happens. If we put a new one in. It's outside their, their, um, their institutionalized repair format, which there's nothing wrong with that. Other than the fact that don't we all have the choice, the right to choice in what we want to do with these devices. So at Apple Support Community Forum, my answer that said, hey, it could be three, it could be uh, these most common three things. Let's walk through these. And by the way, you know, if you want to address anything other than bad battery, you're going to need to go to an independent repair shop because Apple will not change your charge for it. They can't. And they will not. Uh, they certainly will not do microsoldering to change your TriStar chip if that's the problem. Delete. That is offensive, Jessa. You are spreading questionable advice. So we're going to delete your answer due to questionable advice. Well, how could I, you know, like I, I'm, it's not questionable based on this experience. You can argue with them. You can suggest, you know, like you can try to be diplomatic. It doesn't matter. They will delete not just me, but any reasonable voice of independent repair that gets on their radar screen is censored from that forum. And what it leaves is the, uh, the only thing left for you to see on there 
would be, oh, have you tried restoring your software? Mm, that's not going to solve a battery hardware issue. Uh, no, you know, like, yes, I have. Okay, then you got to go to the Apple store where they will diagnose your phone. No, they yeah. won't. Yeah, it's just useless advice. Have you tried rebooting it? Turn yeah, have you tried turning it off and on? Well, buy a new phone then. That's all you can do. Interesting. Interestingly, um, I think now hearing more about it, any other company would have received a shitstorm doing the same things that Apple do. Mm-hmm. But but Apple can get away with it. With yeah, they they have the they have product. carefully crafted a a you know quasi religion where people um it takes a lot to to question why you know no one no one expects the manufacturer of the device to know less than a mom at her dining room that doesn't make sense <laughs> but that that and it's, it's, it takes a lot to make people realize okay well that's the way it is interestingly um, I noticed while talking about my um, Apple support experience with with um, other Americans like HA or my, or other friends from America, um, here in Europe, um, I'm pretty annoyed by by the their behavior. By by the way, because when I call Apple and I have a problem, I usually want a problem solved. Um, quickly, mm-hmm. but when I when I call Apple or do a chat, I have to reserve an hour because they will all start like, "Oh, I understand you very well. If I had this problem, I would be annoyed too. So right. let me see how I can help you." And I'm like, right. "Oh my God, I'm spending ten minutes to hear they are feeling <laughs> with me, and right. and and how they. I had I had the same I had the same issue myself on my phone because I I have the same model." I, I heard from Americans that this is like to feel close to the customer, but on the other side, the solutions they are giving me are so bad that it doesn't help me, even if they were nice. Well, I had and a, acting my I, friends. I had an issue with uh, my laptop. I was I was putting an SSD into my my current machine, and when I went to put the thing in, I installed the last version of macOS that I have on a DVD that I can actually put on there. Then I went to upgrade. And it's telling me log into your 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 iPhone your your iTunes account. So I try to do that, and it's like, okay, now we want you to enter the code that we sent to your other i your other Apple device. The only Apple device I have is the laptop. So they're trying to send it to my laptop with my old hard drive, which doesn't exist anymore. You know, so I had to call Apple support because that's the only thing I could think to do. And it literally took this this poor girl three hours to figure out what was going on. And but yeah, a, a good portion of it was, and it and it made it difficult to be mad at her because, you know, she's like, oh yeah, I understand this is crazy. I don't know why it's like this, and you know, she sympathizes with you. So I can't be I can't be angry, but at the same time, it's like this is something that I'm sure I'm not the only person this has happened to, and there's got to be a quick workaround. And I don't understand why it's taking three hours of of you being sympathetic but not actually answering the question for this right. you know to fix this and, and, the and really uh, go ahead uh, yeah uh, well i wanted to say and the thing that really surprised me probably you have heard about aliexpress yes mm-hmm. um and they they started to copy the same uh-huh. method of customer support that apple's doing so i'm starting my chat i wanted to tell them about a problem on their website that the order details are wrong 
and they they start telling me, oh, I hope you have a nice day, and I'm like, oh my god, no, you're being handled. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yes. So like, while the shinies are copying what Apple is doing to be closer to the customers, I was like, oh my god. You know, right. and I was yeah. sitting there half an hour chatting about a problem they are having on their website. And most of the time I was, well, you know, like buttered up or something, how you can yeah, say. Yeah, you're, be you're being um, handled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ma'am. You're being ma'amed. That's what it is. That's yes. what I call it. Yes. Yeah. Ma'am. 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 We understand you're upset, ma'am. Ma'am, please calm down, yeah. ma'am. <laughs> so, yeah so so what you what did you want to say sorry i interrupted you oh i don't remember now something <laughs> crucially important i'm sure um yeah oh it was about the idea of phone support really is difficult for sure so this the antidote to that is to have really really good forum and web support so mm -hmm. how about this idea how about we not abdicate forum work to a bunch of, you know, geriatric assholes <laughs> that are just uh, condescending and rude and they don't fix this stuff themselves. So they don't really know. They're not knowledgeable. Why don't we not abdicate customer service to those guys? And instead, why don't they simply allow the the old turkeys of the world that want to come in and actually answer this stuff for free mm -hmm. i mean i have put i don't know a hundred hours of of typing out heartfelt responses to people's real questions now why would i do that i mean i'm not linking to myself this doesn't come back to me in any way and it's because human beings when you hear another human being that has a problem that you know how to solve, it feels good just from basic humanity to say, I know what's wrong with that. Let me tell you what you need to do. Because then that person is going to have their problem solved, or at least they'll know more about it. And they're going to turn around and go, thank you, that was really helpful. And just that, just that is enough to make online customer service work really well all you have to do is not delete those you know right. so that you whatever was was wrong with your you know macbook incompatibility you know there may have been somebody else that's walked that road before because the internet can teach you anything as long as you give the internet a place to annotate and collect that information so you can find it good place for that would be apple support community forum so would love to see them allow that well, at least in AJ's case, he was lucky that she had three hours to spend with him, because in my case, it was like, um, try restore your data and call back tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I, right. Oh, well, uh, that really that really won't fix my battery issue, will it? Um, I, maybe it's a software error. I'm like, I'm not really sure if that is a software error. I mean, I'm a layman, but I thought like maybe while I listen to music, I'm putting so much strain on the battery that it cannot keep. Um, well, it's um, I don't know. It cannot keep its voltage high enough. And then depleting more quickly than usual. That yeah, well, all of that is a perfectly reasonable idea where probably it would be better to say something like maybe there's a partial short circuit 
an inappropriate path to ground somewhere in speaker audio. So therefore, everything's fine until I start to play music. Then it's like I've got a hose with a leak in it, even though it's a really tiny leak, <laughs> that it still works. But I'm losing blood. You know, I'm bleeding yeah. out of that little <laughs> tiny hole. You know, very reasonable, perfect, reason, pre perfectly reasonable thinking. But in order to investigate that, you got to go to somebody that knows what the, you know, what, what is and isn't a short. What is the actual resistance on that line? Right. Somebody who has a multimeter. I don't think they have any multimeters at the Apple store. No, they do not. Well, I was lucky <laughs> the battery was the reason, but... As I had it at the store anyway, if it was different reason, I would have just told them to try something else, I guess. Because they have the equipment. I mean, not in the store, but they have a garage separated where they do all this micro-solding and all that stuff. And, um, and at the independent shop? Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. exactly. And, and they also showed me a phone where a tram was driving over it and it was all bent up. Did mm -hmm. you have such cases too? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've got phones over there, so bullet holes in them. And, <laughs> you know, some of my favorite, one that was one of my favorite data recoveries was in an airplane. So a mile in the air that crashed and then went a mile below sea and the crashed <laughs> plane was underwater for eight months. And then they dug it up to get the bodies and they got the phones. And then they, oh. then they ended up uh, showing up here like 18 months later, mm. this guy walked in the door. Can you fix this? And we got the data from that. And that was really, really cool. You know, that was one of my, my faves. Wow. Wow. But that must be emotionally challenging, I think, if you if you know the stories about all those uh, lives that were lost in the plane crash and so on. That must be really hard in such it, a moment. It is. It is. But it's also what makes a case interesting. And that's why I think that smaller shops tend to do better. I know that the people tend to be freaked out about, you know, privacy and data. Um, but in reality, most of most of your mom and pop repair shops that can do micro soldering, they care about people because it's people that write reviews, people that come back. It's a community. These are people that are in your community. And just like every community needs a hairdresser and a doctor, people that provide services where you trust them and they're members of your community. I think that the same is true. When you have a device that has meaning to someone, then you're going to continue to leave no stone unturned, even when it stops really making business sense to do that, because you form a connection and you care about the person that's on the other end of that story. And that's really, really common um, for, uh, for mom and pop independent repair shops that do micro soldering to have that closeness with their customer base. It's a really different experience and maybe not everybody likes it, which is totally fine, you know, <laughs> but, um, but it's, it's something that we need to support because many people really do. And it's a really extraordinary service. Yeah. Well, it, it took for me just a bad experience where a person on the uh, Apple helpline told me bullshit and was like, okay, I, I paid, um, 
950 euros on this device two years ago. It's barely usable now because I don't want to have a power bank with me all the time. No. <laughs> and uh, okay, I go somewhere else because warranty was over anyway. So there was right. no reason to to use this um, service from Apple where you could get cheaper battery replacement. But the new battery wouldn't be much better in quality because yeah. the battery in the 7 Plus is really not not that good, and at least they, from my experience. Now they had to fix mine with my uh, the, trying to get my little passcode thing. I had to give the, the girl I'm talking to on the phone my login credentials so she can log into my account on her personal phone and give me the numbers when I try to get into the thing, the, the code to log into it. And then I had to immediately change my password and, and uh, cancel out permissions. You know, you've got your list of allowed devices cancel right. that all out instantaneously so that she wouldn't be logged into my account anymore right wow. at least now you have a friend at it's, apple yeah right <laughs> right and that's, well, that's just well, that's inelegant. really great you know that's that that's really great that she was willing to do that and solve yeah. that problem because we've also you know we get a lot of emails and things like hey i don't i shouldn't be talking to you but <laughs> we get a, we get a lot of that and from the um apple uh phone support world you know we've heard stories of guys mm -hmm. that say um i used to be that guy the two hour on the phone but guess right. what there's metrics of your call turnaround time and i would get a big fat f and so but my customer service rating was always 99%. Mm. And then what, and they, so they had to retrain me, he said, which was horribly condescending and just, just made you want to throw up mm. on the same kinds of things that you were talking about, about right. like, first identify second, you know, oh, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, make them feel safe, you know, then, yeah. um, uh, <laughs> you know, so he had to be retrained uh, to, to stop, being willing to spend two or three hours to help one person get to the end that he instead needed to prioritize his turnaround time and uh, get those calls going that they get like a 10 second break between calls. And it was sad for that's, him. That's and that's why ridiculous. he's writing in that they've beaten out of him the, the spirit of being a compassionate human being because that didn't match well with the bottom line. Damn you, Actually, Tim Apple. <laughs> actually what you don't know i did this job myself my my first job my first work was actually customer support line uh, technical support first and second grade for an isp and okay. luckily i was um luck um, i was lucky enough to not do the job in a call center but yeah. at the isp directly and they told me even if it takes an hour as long as the internet connection and the telephone of the customer works again, we are fine with it. Yes. Well, so and, and now we also have to take into account that, that we didn't spoke about yet, that maybe we are young and know this stuff, but there are people like 80 plus, 70 plus that got their Apple device from their grandsons, grand, uh, granddaughters, right. and they have no idea... And they would believe anything Apple tells them without right. making a thought about it that they just could tell them wrong things. Right. Well, no one expects that. And how are you supposed to find out? You know, there, there, you know, there isn't. I mean, we see every single day. Yeah, you know, there was another notable case was a woman, a young mom, local, coming into this shop 
with a baby on her hip and she's got an iPad 2. And iPad 2s would often get what I call toddler damage <laughs> where the there's a, a cable that connects the screen to the logic board. And that cable has about a millimeter of play. It can go back or forth. So it was pretty common for a small drop, like from a high chair to the floor, to dislodge the cable. The iPad would still work. iTunes would detect it. You could hear that it was on, but you couldn't see anything. It was completely not cracked. And the solution to that, as most independent repair people know, is to turn it upside down and give it a good hard smack. You know, a couple of smacks right where that connection is. We'll push it back in enough so that the thing would turn back on. You could see the display without having to open it up and desolder everything, you know, like without having to really get into the that's device. The, that's and, the Apple three method where you drop it on the table to reseat the chips. Right, exactly. <laughs> so uh, she had gone to the Apple store here locally and had taken her, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. We smacked it and it went out working. So she had gone in there and said, what's wrong with my iPad? As you would expect, that would be the right thing to do. When your iPad stops working, you should go to the iPad store. Mm -hmm. So they go, she went into Apple and they told her um, that is not repairable. Your only option is to buy another iPad 2 for $279 and trade in this one. There wasn't anything wrong with it. And at the time, the common value of an iPad 2 was about 150 bucks. So they were going to charge her twice as much as the common used value of an iPad 2 to get, you know, to trade in her perfectly fine one and get one in the white box for 300 bucks. That's crazy. So she walks in here and, and we say, oh, no, that's a commonly fixed with a good slap. Here, watch this right in front of her. Smack, smack, smack. Turn it on. I can remember the baby's face as he sees his iPad turn back on. He's just so happy. You know, no charge. She leaves. And it's, you know, it's things like that that, you know, I really think every town needs to have a knowledgeable person that sees enough of this stuff yeah. in order to, you know, how she's supposed to know. It's totally random that she just said, well, I'll stop in there because it says iPad rehab, maybe. She, you know, she, she didn't think that how, under what planet would we know that that iPad just needed to be smacked when the manufacturer said, this is not repairable and yeah. your only option is to get a new one. That's great. Actually, we spoke a lot about the Apple store and so on, but this is the American situation. What, what you guys maybe don't know here in Europe, for example, in Germany, I have to drive hours to the next Apple store. So right. um, getting getting an appointment for this um, battery repair service for cheaper than usual is almost impossible for some people living here in Germany who would have to drive like f uh, three or four hours to the next Apple store because there's no Apple store every corner, right. unlike maybe USA. So well, Germany, USA also doesn't have them on every no. corner. So we happen to have one in our town, which is very unusual because it's a pretty rural town. If when when we go to you know other states, it's not uncommon for it to be a two-hour drive to the closest Apple authorized service provider yeah. who doesn't really fix anything. Mm. And no iPads, no iPads. I mean, that's the thing. iPads are not 
repairable by Apple in any way. No matter, even a cracked screen, your thousand dollar iPad Pro cracked screen can't fix it. There's not repairable. They will swap it. So if it's in warranty, they will swap it out, but they will not fix. They will not open it up. They will not fix it. They are not considered serviceable devices. That's crazy. But so, you know, like anything wrong with your iPad, if you go to the Apple store, it's a total waste of time. You know, like in, if it's an out of warranty iPad, there's nothing they could possibly do. They won't even know enough to smack it on the back and make it work again. If it's an iPad too, they just, don't fix them. They don't know anything about them. They are completely uh, just wasting your time for anything that's iPad hardware. Nothing they can do at all. Actually, I had this um, I, uh, iPhone 5 a few years back. This had this power button problem. Yep. And, and um, the same phone... I had exchanged earlier already because it had a bent glass, which is funny because um, so so when it was raining, I had to be careful to not get water into the, into the phone under the glass of the screen, and it took me a week to get this re replaced because I had to make an online ap appointment. Then I had to take days off from work to drive to there by train then go to there and and it was like oh my god this is not a good option here in germany i don't do that so i said like okay can i send it into you yes but if you want to have it back in um in a in a timely manner you have to pay 36 euros and you need a credit card um and and then we would return it to you earlier I was like, okay, I'm not going to pay uh, 36 euros for quick shipment within warranty. Right. And the, and the thing is, which is also crazy, because here in here in Germany at least, many people don't have credit cards. But if if for example your headphones are broken, they need to have a, an American Express or Visa credit card number in case you are not sending it back. Right. The broken one, though they can charge you anyway. Right. And yeah. um, I, I found this crazy because um, if you have business in Germany, you should know Germans mostly don't have credit cards, but Apple does it anyway. So if you want to have a replacement part over the phone, you need to get a credit card. Otherwise, right. they are not going to replace your broken headphones. Right. I found I found this totally crazy. Did you get uh, your same phone back? Um. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I let me think. Well, when when the um, when the power button was broken, I got a I got a new one, and also I got a new one when the glass was bent. Right. They, yeah. They just exchanged it in the store. Right, because they don't fix that problem. Something yeah. as simple as that. Like here's a, it's an iPhone five right here. And it's when, you know, the power flex is kind of a pain. It goes all the way up here. Got to unscrew a bunch of screws. They don't do that. I mean, remember, you, they, if you break your screen, they will not trust the Apple geniuses to transfer over your own front camera from first screen to new screen. They won't trust them to do that. You get a brand new screen with a brand new front camera because they can't be... Uh, trusted to depend on their own 
repair staff to be able to do that simple, simple repair. So they absolutely are not having anyone repair your iPhone 5 and just change that broken power button, which was really, really common. So they just yeah. are harvesting it from you and giving you a different phone. So you're now getting somebody else's iPhone 5. Maybe that person used the cheap charger that kills the U2 chip and it's on its last legs. We don't know. So you're inheriting somebody else's logic board when you did that swap and they have to take your phone that needs the new the new power button and they don't they don't have a mechanism to repair. You know, let's just harvest up a bunch of them and now we'll take those logic boards out and just put them in completely new housings rather than just fix this one button because and it's just institutionalized. Interestingly, when I had this power button problem, a year later they had an exchange program for exactly this problem. Yep. But this was this was a year earlier and it was on my last day on warranty and it was on a Sunday. Oh. And the guy on the phone here and um the German guy, um, they told me they are sitting in Ireland. Um, he uh, he said he is not authorized to give me a repair order number and okay. st start a repair. Um, um, how you would say? Um, now I forgot the word. Um, to to start a repair process. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I really had to fight with him to get to get this last day of warranty right. branded. Uh, so it, and at, at at this point, this friendly, I understand your problem and I'm here to help you. That all <laughs> suddenly stopped, and right. suddenly I was the evil customer that right. wants his power button fixed. Yeah. Right. On the last day of warranty. Yep, on a Sunday, where where no where no um, second grade support was working on that day, and he had to handle me. So and now uh, you know that the guy yeah. that changed your battery definitely had iPhone five power buttons in stock. Everyone did. <laughs> probably, probably. Could have gone yeah. down there and been finished in twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah. So great. So we covered really all, I guess. Yeah. Or. Did, did right. we miss anything that you do and we didn't cover? I don't think so. I mean, we, we sell supplies. So anybody that wants to um, get into what do I need to do microsoldering, you can go to iPadRehab.com and click Supply Store or check out Training Options. Our classes are listed there. Blog, where you can read about common problems. So that's a good place to check out Hey, is my is my problem a common problem that just nobody uh, has told me about yet? Uh, so that's really good as well. So there are fantastic shops. There are a couple of guys from Germany have come over here. Um, there's a guy from Germany, I think, in our master class that's starting next week. So uh, the whole world is is uh, starting to fix things more and more. And microsoldering is an absolutely vital part of that process. iPhones in particular are just really susceptible to bend. And there's a lot of problems that can be cured from that design flaw. Awesome. Great. Well, we will put links to everything in the podcast description so that people know where they can go to check it out and see your your, your store and, and all that stuff. All right, perfect. Great. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> thanks, guys, so much. I'm going to turn all this off and get back to work.
Okay. Sorry All right. Thanks for taking right, the thanks. break. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.